Welcome everyone to the Follow the Yogi podcast. I'm Vicki Santana, your host. Join me every week while I'll share with you mind-blowing secrets of the practice of yoga, the philosophy of it, the physical practice of it, and I tie it all together so we can apply these secrets to our lives. Stay tuned. You might just find a little gem that will change your life. And now, on to our next dose of Follow the Yogi. Welcome to the Follow the Yogi podcast, your oasis of tranquility, where we delve into the profound wisdom of yoga, connecting age-old spiritual teachings with our modern existence. I'm your guide, Vicki Santana, 500-hour ERYT, on this journey, and today we're going to embark on an exploration of a subject that's fundamental to human life, yet often misinterpreted, the distinction between pain and suffering. First, pain. Pain is an inseparable facet of our lives. It's a constant companion in our human existence. But does pain inherently lead to suffering? Can we distinguish between the two? Our exploration today is centered on these compelling questions. First, we need to differentiate between pain and suffering because they are two different things. Pain is an event a sensory and emotional experience typically triggered by some degree of damage um, to our physical or emotional self. Now, suffering, on the other hand, is our reaction to this pain, to this event. It's our resistance, our continuous struggle to evade it, the stories that ruminate in our minds, and the fear that magnifies it. It's this storm within of resistance that suffering takes birth. I love this sutra from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Yoga Sutra 11.15 proclaims, To the wise, all of the world is seen as full of suffering. In other words, we don't make the world something it's not, and we don't try to not see the suffering. Instead, we accept it and move from that point of reality. Suffering refers not just to the immediate suffering, but also to the subtle, latent suffering that lurks beneath our perceived happiness. It includes suffering from change, whether it's change that's pushed upon us or change that we want to have happen, or the anxiety we feel over our fleeting worldly pleasures and achievements, and suffering from conditioned states, where even when free of immediate pain or sorrow, we remain bound by that cycle of birth, life, and death. Ever notice that even when the present moment is uneventful, we still experience sadness, grief, anxiety, and other emotions that do not correlate with what is presently happening? That is suffering. Now that last point, what it illuminates is the fact that circumstances, including those that induce pain, are often beyond our control. However, the lens through which we perceive and react to these situations, that's entirely within our grasp. Now, this understanding is key to the developing of a different relationship with pain and consequently to reduce suffering. A large portion of our suffering is rooted in a basic misunderstanding of pain. We go through life trying to protect ourselves from the various kinds of pain that might happen building walls of resistance as a form of self-defense, self-protection of what might happen, yet it's that very resistance that breeds suffering. It inflates our fears, imposes limitations, and blinds us to potential opportunity. 
Let's take a few minutes to understand this just a little bit better. Consider a garden. When a gardener notices a ween, he doesn't fear it, but instead he pulls it out at the root. He accepts that the weed is part of the natural process. He doesn't resent its existence. He doesn't take the weed personally or consider it like a conspiracy. Similarly, we can meet our pain like the gardener, without fear, without resistance, but instead with acceptance. This perspective shift is where yoga comes in. Yoga teaches us to meet pain with acceptance, not resistance. It doesn't mean that we try to like it. It doesn't mean that we try to convince ourselves that things are better than they actually are. Even the disdain that we have for events and the pain needs to be accepted because again, it's a normal, inescapable part of the human condition. To stay grounded and aware, to listen to our bodies and minds and to gently lean into the discomfort these acts of conscious breathing, of mindfulness, and of physical movement, well, they become a profound tool to observe our pain without judgment, without resistance. But this observation is not passive. As we learn to distinguish between pain, an event, and suffering, a reaction, we now actively cultivate a new relationship with our reality. We learn to hold space for our pain, approach it with kindness, and in doing so, we start weakening the roots of suffering. Once we start building a different relationship with pain and accepting it, pain can be now a profound teacher if we choose to sit with it and learn from it instead of fleeing or trying to change the outcome. When I graduated from yoga teacher training, I finally succumbed to the pain from a broken leg I got 12 weeks prior to graduating. The day after I graduated, I finally casted my leg and I couldn't go out and immediately teach, which that was my pain because I was initially frustrated and upset. Now that the leg physical pain was gone, now I was creating another layer of suffering by not getting what I want because I had an expectation to go out and teach. That expectation changed or was not met. And now my anger, my disappointment, my sadness of things not happening the way I wanted them to happen, that emotional reaction, that now became my new pain, my new suffering. But this is where yoga helps us see things differently. It helps us change our perspective. After resisting it for a week, after suffering for a week, I picked up the Yoga Sutras. And I got to be honest with you, I couldn't put them down. After reading for a few hours, I realized what a unique opportunity I had. Instead of being angry, instead of waiting for what I wanted, I got to see, I used this time to read as much as I could over all of the theories and writings of the practice of yoga. I read the Vedas, Gita, Sutras, Pratipika, and other writings. Um, I spent about eight to 10 hours reading the ancient texts for almost a year. When was the last time that you were given a year in your adult life to really dig down and drill down deep into something and really get to know it and get to learn to practice it. I was given a gift. It came in the form of a broken leg with a cast, but it was a gift. Today, I can honestly say it was one of the most fruitful times of my life. 
I don't know any other time in my life where I could fully surrender to learning a topic. It was priceless. It made me a deeper yogi and a deeper, more profound teacher. And it gave me time to be introspective, to reflect. Here's another example. So the lotus is an iconic symbol in the practice of yoga. It begins its journey deep within the muddy waters of a realm devoid of light, filled with obstacles. Yet it doesn't resist this murky environment, but uses it as a foundation, a starting point for its growth. It's here in the mud where the lotus seed germinates and slowly starts to rise. It navigates through the dark waters, persisting against the currents. It's not an easy path. The lotus has to confront challenges, struggle with and through the bog, but it perseveres with determination and resilience. And then one day, it breaks the surface, reaching out into the sunlight. The lotus flower blooms in all of its glory, basking in the sun, untouched by the muddy past. Now, despite its origins in the murky depths, the lotus remains immaculate, its petals pure and vibrant. In other words, it went through all of that murkiness, all of that struggle. And once the lotus went through that, it no longer stuck to it. This journey of the lotus mirrors our own journey in life. Just as the lotus seed starts in the mud, we too begin our journey engulfed in the complexities of human existence, often categorized by pain, suffering, ignorance. And when I say ignorance, I just mean a lack of awareness. The mud symbolizes our hardships, our pain. Yet, it's within this actual mud that we find the fuel for our growth. Just as the lotus rises through the water, we too can rise through our struggles, learning, growing, and evolving along the way. The lotus's bloom at the surface symbolizes our ultimate goal of enlightenment, a state of purity, perfection, a manifestation of our true potential. It's going to mean something different for everyone. And just as the lotus flower is untouched by the muddy past, we too, through the practice of our yoga and mindful living, can reach a state of pure awareness and serenity, untouched by our past suffering. The lotus serves as a really powerful reminder that pain and suffering, number one, are not permanent states, but are stepping stones on our path towards self-liberation, self-realization, to getting to know ourselves better, to free ourselves from this state of suffering. This symbol encourages us to rise above our perceived limitations, to bloom to our fullest potential, and to embrace the beauty of our journey, no matter, this is the kicker, no matter how muddy it may seem. Because here's the thing, if you're in the mud, but you're wanting something different, you're not going through it. You're kind of sweeping it aside. That mud, that struggle is going to come back in your life over and over and over again until you're willing to go through it, until you're willing to lean into it. But how do we end suffering? That's always a question that I get from my students. I'll be honest with you, the number one rule, the first thing we have to do is acceptance. Acceptance is really the first step. Acceptance that we will experience pain. Acceptance that we cannot control external events to our liking. Acceptance that there are things in this life we will experience that we will not like. And acceptance that us not liking it, that's okay too. Here's the biggest one. Acceptance that we all die someday. 
The other advice I give is to listen, really listen to the conversation we have with ourselves every minute of every day. We keep convincing ourselves that we have to do this, that we have to do that, instead of telling ourselves that we have the privilege or that we get to be able to be part of this human experience. We tell ourselves we can't. We create these conversations in our minds. We project our own fears, our limitations onto other people. Here's an example. You're crossing paths with someone that usually you say hi to and they smile back and you have a small conversation. But today, all of a sudden, that person didn't make eye contact. Maybe they grunted something in your general direction and you didn't get the response that, here's the important point, you were expecting. Now, all of a sudden, we start talking about what have we done wrong? Does that person like us? What did we miss? Oh, and then we just project all of these stories on that person and onto ourselves. And in that moment, when that expectation wasn't met and we didn't accept that, that's where the suffering started to happen. That's where it bloomed. We also tell ourselves a lot that we have to do this and we have to do that. And when I talk with my students, I usually say, there's only five things that I have to do. I have to breathe, eat, stay hydrated, sleep, and produce output, like think number one and number two. Now here's the kicker, here's the change of perception. How I go about doing these things is what makes up my life. And deciding how I get to do these things, well, that's always a choice. If I don't like the way things are going, I change directions with other choices. If I like the direction that that last choice took me into, I keep going and I get a little deeper into it. What I love about the practice of yoga is it helps us to take many steps back and start paying attention to the conversation that we're having with ourselves. It invites us to stop looking, stop blaming, stop shifting the projection onto the outside world. Because remember, these are things that we cannot control for the most part. And then go inward and reflect without judgment, without criticism on how we are reacting. It's not the pain that causes the suffering. It's our reaction to the pain, to the fear, to the expectations that were unfulfilled. It's our reaction that actually causes our suffering. And it's playing in a loop over and over and over again. And then when we find ourselves in moments of quietude, that's why it's one of the reasons when we first start a practice of stillness, of mindfulness, of meditation, it's really challenging to just stay put because these thoughts, these scripts, these negative, these suffering thoughts that we've allowed to really get a foothold inside of ourselves, they start coming up to the surface. We assume we see them as real and we assume that we're supposed to, or we should, have an emotional reaction to it and that we should take them down or go down the rabbit hole with them. But nothing could be further from the truth. We can see a thought without following it, without judging it, without criticizing it. Instead of wanting to be the thought and be the emotion, taking a step back and now reflecting on it and understanding it as if we were looking at it as a third person, as if we were looking at other people's thoughts and emotions. That gives us this level of objectivity. We don't have, you know, as much skin, emotional skin in the game. And that objectivity is absolutely priceless. 
So let's wrap this up. Pain is an event, emotional or physical, but it's something that happens in the moment. Suffering is the stories that we tell ourselves, the emotions that we attach to it that last long after the actual event is gone. And it's something that we hold on to, that we use to predict the future, that we ruminate in our mind, that kind of holds us back, um, forces us to be small. We live in fear because of suffering. Instead of resisting pain and trying to actually predict it, we accept the fact that pain is part of the human condition and that most of the things that do cause us pain, we have absolutely no control over. So trying to control the events in our lives so we don't experience any pain is like trying to put our finger in a dam and trying to hold back an enormous amount or surge of water. It's impossible. And then lastly, take time to actually listen to the conversations that we have in our mind. Research says that 50 to 80% of the thoughts in our mind, they're either outdated or they're going against what we're trying to do in the present moment. And more research is actually showing more the upwards of 80%. And that's not a bad thing. You see, the mind is working as it's supposed to. It is a problem solver. It is a puzzle solver. So it inherently looks for things that are wrong. And then based on our experience, we've created responses and we've stored these responses to make our life a little bit more efficient. So when there's something that's similar to what we've experienced in the past as it relates to pain, really as it relates to anything, but the topic is pain. The mind just automatically recalls that as a solution and we work unconsciously, we behave unconsciously to either protect ourselves, to prevent ourselves from experiencing any more pain or any more suffering. So taking that time every day, that's one of the things of what meditation is for. It is not to turn off the mind, but actually to spend some time objectively viewing the thoughts that are coming up to the surface. These thoughts are primary keys to how and what makes you tick and how you're responding to the outside world. Because a lot of times we're going through this world unconsciously. We're walking, we're talking, and we're multitasking, and we're actually not putting a pause between what happens and how we react. So the mind just fills in the gap for us. If 50 to 80% of our thoughts are not working in the favor of what we're trying to accomplish in the present moment, then we're actually trying to solve things that are happening in the current moment with an outdated script. Well, there you have it, pain versus suffering, the difference between the two, and a couple of options on how to start getting a foothold on banishing suffering, or at least reducing it in your daily life. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of introspection and understanding Understanding ourselves is the highest order, the highest thing that we can do for all of consciousness. It's my sincere hope that this perspective provides a new lens through which you can view pain and suffering and the roles they play in your life and the amount of control that we actually have to minimizing our own suffering. From my heart to yours, may your practice, may your life, may all of your choices bring you health, wisdom, and inner peace. Namaste.